As you know, this summer we're in a series on the parables of Jesus, and we're looking at what these parables have to say to us about life, and the series is titled Reframing, because actually these parables help us to reframe and rethink the way we look at our lives. So I'd like us to look now at a very familiar parable called The Rich Fool, and this parable is so important for every one of us, and I'd like us to think carefully about what is the point that this parable is asking us to think about, how is it calling us to reframe our lives? Listen for the word of God. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, friend, who sent me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then Jesus told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but who are not rich toward God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we didn't come to hear a human word or a human voice or a human opinion. We, come, we came to hear your word and your word alone. So to that end, O oh God, pour through me, please, the gift of preaching. That these words might truly be your living word to us, O oh God. And may they meet every one of us, every one of us, at our point of need. So that we might take the next step on our journey of faith with you. All this we pray with anticipation for what you have in store for us today, and we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, and may all the people of God say, Amen. When William Gladstone was the Prime Minister of Great Britain, he met with a college student from Oxford who wanted to do some career counseling with the Prime Minister about his future. So the young man came to see Prime Minister Gladstone, and the Prime Minister said to him, well, son, what do you plan to do with the rest of your life? And the Oxford student said, well, first of all, sir, I plan to graduate with distinction from Oxford, and then I plan to go on to a prominent law school here in England. The Prime Minister said, bravo, well done, great plan, and what then? The young man said, well, then after I graduate from a prominent law school, I'd actually like to join a prominent law firm, perhaps in London, and become a barrister, a significant barrister here in England. Bravo, excellent job. What then? Well, the young man said, well, then I actually hope to get a cabinet post and serve in parliament. Well done, splendid, said the prime minister. And what then? He said, well, he said, the boy said a little sheepishly, I'd actually like to take your job as prime minister and serve with distinction in that post. A noble ambition, William Gladstone said. And what then? The young man said, well, after a long career as prime minister and all this distinguished service, uh, I guess I shall retire. 
So you shall, Gladstone said. And what then? The young man said, well, then I will write my memoirs and tell everyone about all of my significant accomplishments here in Great Britain. Oh, a noble ambition also, Gladstone said. And what then? The young man said, well, after all this work and all these achievements and all these accomplishments, I guess I shall die. So you shall, the prime minister said. And what then? And the young man said, I've never thought about that. The Prime Minister Gladstone leaned forward in his chair and looked the young man in the eye and said, Son, you are very bright and you're very ambitious, but you are a fool. Go home and think about your life with the end in mind. And when you do, you will not be as interested in your life or your achievements, but you'll be interested in others. Now let that lean against you a little bit. Go home and live your life with the end in mind. And if you do, you'll not be as interested in your achievements or your awards or your notoriety. You'll be more interested in others. See, that's exactly what Jesus wanted this man who asked him the question in the, par- in the story we read from Luke 12 to do. He wanted this young man to go and live his life with the end in mind. And Jesus noted this young man asked him a question. He's in the middle of teaching, and he's right in the middle of his teaching, and the young man asked him a question, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Notice Jesus doesn't answer the question. He doesn't divide the inheritance. He doesn't figure out the solution to the problem. He really sees the young man's question as a symptom of a larger problem. And the larger problem Jesus identifies is greed. Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed is an insatiable appetite for more. More land, more money, more crops, more, 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 M-O-R-E. It's an insatiable appetite for more. When John Paul Getty was the richest man in the world in the 1950s and early 60s, founder of Getty Oil Company, a reporter asked him, Mr. Getty, how much money is enough? And Getty said, Riley, just a little bit more. See, we always want just a little bit more, but greed can't be satisfied. This is why Jesus said, be on your guard against greed, because possessions can't satisfy us. One's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions, and despite what advertisers try to tell us, our possessions can't ultimately satisfy us. This is why Oscar Wilde, the great Irish poet, said there are two great tragedies in life. The first is not getting what you want. The second is getting it. Because when you get the thing you think you want, you realize it can't ultimately satisfy us. That's what Jesus is trying to say. There's, There's nothing in the abundance of your possessions. Really, what's really important in life is being rich toward God. And in this parable that we study today, Jesus tells this young man what is going to be the antidote to greed. And that is realizing that our lives are on loan from God. We don't own anything. Our lives are on loan from God. So Jesus tells this parable to make this point that our lives are on loan from God. There was once a rich man 
and his crops produce more abundantly than they ever imagined. He doesn't know what to do. So he says, what am I going to do? He said, I'll, I'll tear down my barns and I will build bigger and bigger barns. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And then I will say to my soul, I will, soul, you have lived a good life. Eat, drink, and be merry for we have enough for abundance for years to come. And then Jesus says, God will say to that rich man, you fool, you absolute fool. Tonight your, your life is going to be required of you and all these things you've stored up in these barns, whose will they be? And then Jesus adds this note, so it is with those who have stored up possessions for themselves, treasures for themselves, and are not rich toward God. The question I want to ask us today is, are we rich toward God? Do we know that our lives are simply on loan from God? We don't own anything. Our lives are simply a gift from God to all of us. Did you notice in the passage in two verses, nine times, this man in the parable says, my, 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 or I, I, I. It's all about him. He thinks he owns everything. These are my crops. They're my goods. It's my barn. It's my soul. Everything is about him. It's all about me for this young man. He doesn't think about anybody else. And actually, I think Jesus is getting to his problem that he is lonely. <laughs> he doesn't have anybody with whom to share these crops and all these barns. But he thinks it's all about him. But before we're too critical of this young man in the story who asked Jesus the question, don't we sometimes say, it's my job, it's my house, it's my voice, it's my family? Don't we say it's mine, they're my children? Don't we sometimes say that? It's my church, it's my pew? Don't we sometimes say that? Some years ago, I was preaching at a church outside Atlanta, Georgia, and I was trying to, to capture the idea that, that we don't own anything. And that children grow up so fast. And I was saying that really they're not our children, not my children. Actually, children are just on loan to us. So I said, I said in the sermon, these words, you know, your children are two and four. And then one day you blink and they're six and eight. And then you look up and they're eight and ten. And then you blink again and they're 14 and 16. And then you, you look up and they're 18 and 20. And they are gone. And a woman in the back of this rural church said, you hope. My son is 40, and he never left home. <laughs> See, we don't own these children. They're not ours. They're not our possession. We don't own them. They don't belong to us. They're a gift for a few years, six or eight years, or 10 years, or 40 years. They're, they're a gift from God to us. We don't own anything. I wonder if San Marino Church is, is like every other church I've ever served in my whole ministry, that... that we say it's my church, and we sometimes say it's my pew. Do you ever say that? You ever have these pews where you sit, they're, they're your pew? Well, I left Houston, Texas, and went to a church in New York City at Fifth Avenue Church, and a couple came from Houston, and they were in New York for a play and opera and some business, and they came to church, and they got there 30 minutes early because they wanted to sit right in the second row, and what they didn't know is that Evelyn had been sitting in the second row, right center, for 25 years. She thought of it as her pew. So this couple from Texas got there 30 minutes early. They were going to sit in, in, in that pew. And Evelyn came in 15 minutes early to church as she did every Sunday. And when she walked in, she looked at that couple from Texas. And if looks could kill, 
that couple from Texas wouldn't be alive today. So Evelyn went and sat in the third row, but she was mad about it. And during the passing of the peace, the people from Houston said, the Lord be with you. And she, Evelyn said, and also with you. So Evelyn's mad about this, and the people from Texas said, by the way, we're from Tom's old church in Houston. Um, we, we came here to New York City for the, the opera and the ballet and a play, and we wanted to come in here and preach. We got we to gotta leave church a little early to get back to our, our flight, so we wanted to sure Tom saw us. We got to make a flight back home. And, and the woman from New York said, oh, I'm so relieved. And they said, what do you mean you're relieved? She said, well, I, I actually, I've been sitting in that pew for 25 years, and, and I actually think of it as my pew, and I was going to say to you folks, that is my pew. You stole my pew. And the people from Texas said, that's okay. You stole our minister. <laughs> now, listen carefully. Nobody owns a pew. Nobody owns a church. Nobody owns children. Nobody owns a home. Nobody owns a job. Nobody owns a career. No, we don't own these things. That's just an illusion. We don't own them. We're just caretakers of them for a few years, and it goes so fast. We don't own anything. Everything is a gift from God to all of us. We don't own these things. They're just on loan to us. And the sooner we realize that, the better our lives will be. Not a one of us here this morning knows how long we're going to live. We don't know whether tonight could be the night when our name will be called and, and we'll enter the kingdom of heaven with Jesus Christ. We don't know that. And so we don't know whether all these possessions, what's going to happen to them, Jesus says. You know, when you get to the end of your life, Jesus says, it really doesn't matter how many possessions you have. What matters is relationships. Are you rich toward God? We don't know how long we're going to live, but, but we know that we're stewards of all that God has given to us until that very day. Every now and then, Every now and then we get a glimpse of this truth. Every now and then we get a glimpse that life is about more than possessions. Every now and then we get a glimpse that life's about relationships. I went to a New York Rangers hockey game one night with a man in New York, a single man. He'd never married, and he invited me to go to a New York Rangers hockey game with him. And I went, and we had dinner beforehand, and we went, and we sat in the third row at the Madison Square Garden for the hockey game. And I said, wow, what great seats. I've never been in seats like this. Usually I'm way up in the nosebleed section. He said, yeah, I've got season tickets with another guy. We come to all the Rangers games, and it's terrific. I said, wow, what a great life. He said, do you like the Knicks basketball team? I said, I do like basketball. He said, well, I've got season tickets to the Knicks also. I said, do you have this good seats? He said, no, we're way back. We're in the seventh row there. <laughs> and I must tell you, in that moment, I was so envious of this guy. I mean, I thought, wow, to have Knicks tickets in the seventh row and Rangers tickets in the third row. This guy's got life by the tail. He's got it made. And I'll never forget this. He leaned over to me and said, but I'd trade everything that I have. These tickets, my home, my apartment in New York, I'd trade all this for what you have. And I thought, what do I have? And he said, you've got a wonderful wife, and you've got two healthy, fine sons. And all my life, I wanted to be married and all my life, I wanted to have children. And I never met a woman to marry. Never met anybody who'd marry me. I don't have any children. I don't have a family. You have a family. 
So I spend my money on Knicks tickets and Rangers tickets and going out to fabulous restaurants for dinner. But I'm lonely. I wish I had a family. I'd love to have what you have. And I realized in that moment that Jesus is quite right. Life is not about the abundance of your possessions. Life is about relationships. Life's about having a relationship with other people and a family. And life's about having a relationship with God. And when you get to the end of your life, it won't really matter how much stuff we have. What matters is, are we rich toward God? Do we have the kind of relationships that we can count on that we'll see our loved ones in the kingdom of heaven? Do we have a relationship with God? When you get to the end of your life, the abundance of the possessions really doesn't matter. This is why my prayer posture has always been with open hands because I'm reminding myself when I pray that, that I don't own anything. I used to pray like this. I really want all these things, God. But God showed me that's not the way to pray. The way to pray is with open hands. Because if you pray this way, God can't put anything into your hands. And God can't take anything out of your hands. And when I pray this way, I'm saying to God, Lord, this is not about me. This is about you. So I'm open that if you want to take things out of my hands, I'm, I'm willing to have that happen because I don't own anything. And Lord, I'm open to what you want to put into my hands. When you get to the end of your life, it isn't about all the abundance of our possessions. What it's really about is, are we rich toward God? Do we have relationships that matter? When I was at Princeton Seminary, where Jeff O'Grady also went to Princeton Seminary, it's a wonderful school, but I, I met a man who was rich toward God there, and he changed my life. Oddly enough, he was a Roman Catholic Benedictine monk. His name was Cullen. I really got to know Colin and really enjoyed him. The president of the seminary, Dr. McCord, called me to his office one day and said, Tom, we got a Benedictine monk coming to seminary for one year, and I want you to take care of him. You're the president of the class. I want you to welcome him and just have a meal with him or do some stuff with him. He doesn't know anybody here in Princeton. He doesn't know anybody. He's a Roman Catholic. And so I said, sure, I'll welcome him to the campus. And I met him for lunch and asked him what he liked to do and found out that he, he played a little basketball. But see, I'm thinking a Roman Catholic Benedictine monk. I'm thinking a guy five foot five, 300 pounds, unathletic, brown robe, balding in the middle of his hair. Well, I met this guy six foot two, athletic. He was terrific. So I said, well, Colin, by the way, uh, a number of us play basketball every Friday afternoon at four o'clock. Would you like to play with us? He said, sure, I'd love to play. I said, so you can play basketball? He said, yeah, I can hold my own on the court pretty well. So I, but I'm still thinking Benedictine monk, so I pick him on my team. I'm going to take care of this guy and I dribble the ball down the court and I see him open at the top of the key and so I pass the ball but I pass it gently you know so he can catch it and he catches it he wheels toward the basket puts up a 20-foot jump shot swish I'm thinking what a lucky shot <laughs> I the next game he's on the other team and he stole the ball from someone who remained nameless went down and dunked it on the other basket. I thought, that's it. I'm going to become a monk myself. <laughs> so after the game, uh, I took Cullen uh, out. I said, we, some of us go out for drinks and a little bit something to eat. Would you like to go with us? He said, sure, meet me in my room. So I went over by his room and went over to the single guy's dorm. I hadn't been in there much, and I went into this single dorm. Suzanne and I were married at that time, and I went to the single dorm and went to his room and stood outside the door. His door was cracked ajar, and he was coming down from the shower, and and I looked into his room, and I'll never forget what I saw. One sport coat and one pair of slacks. 
a pair of loafers and sneakers and socks, a pair of khaki pants, a pair of blue jeans, a coat, an umbrella, a stack of underwear, a typewriter, some paper and books, and that was it. So when he came down the hall, I said, Colin, can I ask you a question? He said, ask me whatever you want. I said, well, where's all your stuff? He said, well, what do you mean, my stuff? I said, well, you know, your valuables. Where do you keep all your suits and your shoes and all your clothing and your furniture? Where do you keep all your stuff? He said, oh, oh, well, Tom, I've, I've declared a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience as a Benedictine monk. I said, well, that's all well and good, but where's your stuff? You know, where's all the, where's all the stuff that you value? He said, oh, my valuables. I, I said, I, I don't care that you have valuables. I just want to see your valuables. He said, well, if you'd like to see my valuables. I said, no, I don't have to see them. Just, I just want to know that you have them. He said, no, no, I need your help with my valuables. Tuesday night, are you free by any chance Tuesday night? I said, yeah, I'm available. He said, well, pick me up at 5 o'clock and be prepared to run. And I said, well, you know, I thought maybe he was going to take me to a warehouse in Trenton, New Jersey to move his valuables. I didn't know what we were going to do. And we go down to, at 6 o'clock, we, we referee a boys uh, 12 and under basketball game. And I'm wondering, what in the world are we doing here? These guys are 5'6", five, 5'7", five, 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 and then at 7 o'clock, we referee the boys 15 and under game, and these kids are 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", and at 8 o'clock, we referee the 18 and under game. These guys are 6'7", 6'9", one guy was 6'11". We were refereeing these games. I called a foul on one of the 6'11 guys under the basket, and he looked at me and he said, what did you say, man? I said, nothing. The whistle must have slipped. I was scared to death, and those games ended. I wanted to get out of there, but Colin had brought popcorn and cheese curls and root beer and Dr. Pepper and lemonade, and everybody was having a grand time in this rec center in the middle of inner-city Trenton in a rough area. I wanted to get out of there. Colin's in the other kitchen making popcorn, and I'm saying, uh, Colin, we got to get out of here. He said, no, no, Tom, you talk to these kids. I want you to get to know them. So I asked him a question. I said, well, Colin's a good friend to you. And the kid said to me, you don't know how good a friend he is. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, we couldn't have a league without Colin. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, some of these white guys come down and they referee a game one night and then they get scared and they quit. And I thought I can understand that. And then, <laughs> but Colin's the only guy who stays week after week after week, month after month after month. He comes down here two nights every week and gives us a whole night and brings us food and referees these games. We couldn't have a league without Cullen. Do you know we'd be on drugs without Cullen? We'd be into crime without Cullen? He's kept us off the streets. And then one kid leaned forward to me and he said, and Cullen is the best friend I've ever had. I said, why do you say that? He said, well, I should say he introduced me to the best friend I've ever had ever had. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, let me just say my dad works the 3 to 11 shift at a restaurant, gets home every night at 11.15, and my mom cooks dinner for us, and the only time my sister and brother, my, my, me and my sister and mom and dad can have dinner is 11.15 every night, so my dad comes home, well, clockwork, we, we eat together at 11.15, then we all go to bed around midnight, my dad sleeps in, we go to school, and I don't see my dad the rest of the day, so 11.15 at night's the only time we have other than the weekend. So he said, one night, my 11.15 came, my dad was always home, my mom was cooking the scrambled eggs and bacon, and 11.20, 11.25, 11.30, my dad's not home, and my mom knew something had happened. She sent me and my sister out to find my dad, and at a bar, about two weeks, two blocks from our home, we saw my dad. He'd broken up a fight of some guys who'd had too much to drink outside the bar, and one guy in the midst of the fight stabbed my dad in the chest, and when we got there, 
My dad's lying on a gurney with an ambulance, and they're putting my dad in the gurney, and he's got a knife sticking out of his chest. We ran home as fast as we could, got my mom. We took a bus into the Trenton Hospital, and we waited there at 2 in the morning, and there was nobody to comfort us, so I called Cullen. And Cullen took a bus and came down into inner city Trenton. He sat with us. He brought his Bible, and he read the Psalms to my mom, and he read about Jesus. He told us about Jesus. And he was with us at 6 o'clock in the morning when the doctor came in and said, I'm sorry to tell you, but your dad, your, your father, your husband is dead. Cullen did my father's funeral. We weren't members of a church. We weren't Christians. We weren't believers. Cullen did my father's funeral. And at the funeral, he said that he would be with us as much as he could but that he had to slumber, he had to sleep, he was a human being, but there was one person who would always be with us 24-7, and his name is Jesus. And if we would get to know Jesus, he'd be with us all the rest of our life, and even on into eternity. And so, we got to know Jesus. We've gotten involved in a local church. And today, Jesus is the best friend our family's ever had. And Cullen keeps us off the streets and he introduced us to Jesus. Well, we gathered up the excess popcorn and, and Cheez-Its and root beer and drove home. And I told Colin how impressed I was with his stuff, his valuables, the things he invested his time and money in. I dropped them off and went home to my beautiful wife, Suzanne, and our little apartment in Princeton. And we looked at all of our stuff, our sterling silver, our china, our popcorn pop, our ice cream maker, her suits and dresses and shoes and my, my suits and shoes. And we thought about Cullen's stuff. And we thought if Jesus could evaluate our stuff versus Cullen's stuff, whose stuff would Jesus say is more important? And that was a life-changing question for us. That was the day we started to tithe of our money to God. It changed our life because what we realized was when you get to the end of your life, what matters is not the abundance of your possessions. What matters are your relationships. Are you rich toward God? Oh, my San Marino friends, I've come to respect and admire and really love this congregation these past five weeks. It's been a great privilege for me to be with you. But I'm not saying, hear me carefully, I'm not saying that possessions are bad. I'm not saying we got to get rid of all of our possessions to be a Christian. I'm not saying that, and God is not saying that. But what God is saying to us is beware of greed. Beware of always wanting just a little bit more. Because the day will come when we enter the kingdom of heaven and when we die and enter the kingdom of heaven and the question that day will not be how many possessions did you have? The question is what were your relationships like? Are you rich toward God? That'll be the question. Are you and I rich toward God? Well, are we? 